This is the Voice Podcast Network. Hi everyone, welcome to the first episode of Hilltop Horror. I'm Elspeth. I'm Lucy. Uh, This is the Voice's brand new podcast on all things horror. Uh, Today's episode, we're going to be talking about the history of American horror from the 60s to the present day. First, we're going to do some get-to-know-you questions. Our first being, Elspeth, what was the first horror movie you ever saw? I think the first horror movie I ever saw was The Sixth Sense, the like M. Night Shyamalan one about the, the kid who sees dead people. That's Spoiler. an interesting first one. I think my parents decided that it like wasn't that much of a horror movie, so I could see it when I was like 12 or whatever. Do you still think that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it gets intense at some points, but it's like, I don't know. I grew up on R.L. Stein, man. I was like desensitized to a bunch of stuff. My first horror movie was probably The Conjuring when mm-hmm. I was, I must have been in middle school or like early high school. So the next question is, Elspeth, what is your favorite horror movie? I feel like this changes like every week, but I'm gonna say one of my favorites is The Black Coat's Daughter. Cause it's like, it's mostly psychological horror. Um, and then there is a supernatural element, but it's like ambiguous enough where there are multiple interpretations. Um, and it does this really cool, like, uh, anachronistic thing where it like jumps between times and storylines but you don't really understand what's going on at first and then you get to piece the puzzle together so it's a really fun watch it is really it's a really sad movie though like it's tragic on multiple levels anyways what's your favorite horror movie um I just recently watched um paranormal activity the first one Mm -hmm. this summer and I actually really loved it I really like the whole movie kind of style they're doing and I love the ending. I'm not going to spoil the ending. I just just loved it. What's the scariest horror movie you've ever seen? I think... I didn't realize how almost mainstream it is after listening to another horror movie podcast, but um, The Babadook. Mm-hmm. I just I think that the whole plot line, when you realize the mother is actually the Babadook, is terrifying in a sad way. Elspeth, what is the scariest horror movie you've ever seen? I think I'm gonna say The Watcher. Um, It's about this, like, woman and her husband who moved to Romania, and then she's convinced that, like, someone in the apartment building across from her is, like, watching her. Um, Anything to do with, like, stalking or, like, that kind of existential dread um, always freaks me out, and I got super paranoid after watching that movie (laughs) in a way that, like, I don't usually react yeah. to movies but I think I think what's scary is so subjective and I think it's just like the experience of being a woman that I could like relate to in that movie um so we're gonna start our history of horror in the 60s with Hitchcock and I know Elspeth you're a big fan of Hitchcock I I am because I think Hitchcock really pioneered the horror movie as we understand it um which it was kind of like a growth out of the like family drama. I think family dramas in like the 50s and 60s got a lot darker. Um, and then I think what Hitchcock did so brilliantly in movies like uh, obviously Psycho, but also like Peeping Tom, is he played on these kind of fears about like 
impropriety in society um, and and twisted them. Like, Psycho is obviously one of the most quintessential horror films uh, of all time, really. Um, a lot of people consider it the first slasher movie because you have the whole, like, MacGuffin where it's like you think it's about this woman running away with her lover, but then actually everything stops abruptly when you have that uh, infamous shower scene. And it's really just about the evil that's hiding in plain sight on, like, the the brink of, of society. I actually just found out that Psycho is based off a true story from a Wisconsin fetish murderer. So just, like, a fun tidbit <laughs> to add to your day. Um, another important defining movie of the 60s is Night of the Living Dead, directed by George Romero in 1968. But I think the main thing that Night of the Living Dead contributed to horror as a genre is a new level of cinematic violence um, because there's lots of shots of uh, the zombies eating some of the characters, which was very new for this time. Like today you see the movie and you're like, oh, that's nothing compared to all of the war movies and all the other horror movies and the gore we've seen. But in the 60s, it was it shocked audiences. Right, and I think, like you mentioned, by today's standards, Night of the Living Dead wouldn't be considered that graphic. Um, but I think something that's interesting is that we start seeing the first zombie movies, especially Romero movies, um, when we get the first images back from Vietnam. Um, and obviously, 68, I think the U.S. had just intervened in the in that conflict. Um but it wasn't really until we started seeing the kind of devastating effects that, you know, American bombings and, like, chemical poisonings had had on civilians that we start seeing this level of body horror where civilians are both the targets and the antagonists of this type of really graphic violence. And then, again, so in the 60s, you mm-hmm. mentioned earlier about um, how Psycho was a deviation from the family drama trope. Mm-hmm. But Rosemary's Baby is like a really great example of that family drama trope. The entire movie, you're watching it, and it seems pretty mundane. It's one of, I think, the most classic examples of this kind of perversion of the mundane that you see in early horror movies, where it just takes some existing social kind of anxiety and just takes it to the extreme. And then moving on to the 70s, which is when we really start getting into this uh franchises we see today but especially on the georgetown campus a main movie that defined the 70s is the exorcist um which some people call it the scariest movie of all time and i i most people who say that are like born in the 70s this is like their first horror again before we had movies like hereditary the conjuring insidious any of these kind of um more graphic movies. And I think it's also another example of a family drama being kind of perverted by some kind of supernatural element. Um, Because in The Exorcist, when Reagan first gets sick, her mother like takes her to the hospital and then they have this kind of like existential theological conversation where they're like, well, what do you believe if we can't identify anything that's medically wrong? with your daughter and it's it's kind of playing on that parental anxiety of like what can I do to take care of my child if I can't understand what's wrong with them and then obviously it it also deals with a lot of religious trauma as well speaking of parental anxieties um I know 
you have some pretty strong opinions about The Shining. I do. So The Shining is one of my favorite books of all time. Love Stephen King. Um, the Shining, I think, is one of his most personal books. That and Pet Cemetery, I would say. Um, basically, at the time that he wrote this, I'm pretty sure he was struggling pretty badly from substance abuse and alcoholism. Uh, and the character uh, Jack in The Shining is, is kind of an analog for Stephen King. So really, it was Stephen King writing about how he was afraid that his substance abuse problems were going to cause him to hurt his children um but stanley kubrick's adaptation and jack nicholson's portrayal of that character in that movie just make him out to be totally deranged um and so stephen king infamously hates kubrick's adaptation of the shining um i actually only watched the shining like over the last summer um and like it is a good movie on its own but as an adaptation of the source material i think it cuts out a lot of the emotional pieces that make the book a more satisfying read. Okay, so after we get to that, we get pretty, like, into slashers, I'd say. I would say Texas Chainsaw really sets up the kind of tropes that characterize the slasher genre. You know, you have this cast of, like, five, like, young adults, and they're kind of just, like, gallivanting through Texas, um, and then they just happen upon the wrong house and then they just get murdered one by one in like incredibly graphic ways it reminds me a lot of x yes except i think i don't like slashers what i like about x is that it's a very character driven movie whereas in texas chainsaw you barely get to know any of the characters the like final girl which you also get the final girl trope in this movie um doesn't do anything except run around and scream for half the runtime. Oh, awesome. Uh, so it's really, it's, yes, from a character perspective, it's really not that satisfying to watch. I think some of the cinematography is gorgeous and very um, innovative given how low of a budget the movie had. Um, but at the same time, I just, I personally, I personally didn't like it. And I think what, what like differentiates X from that is that X is very character driven and then you only get the murders at the very end. So it like delivers like the slasher concept while actually having like something to say. So moving into the 80s, we're still seeing this lack of character development that was seen in Texas Chainsaw. Um, I read a paper about this and it said that, especially in this franchise filmmaking, all of them are very similar in that they have a high body count and little character development. Which, I mean, if you look at it, definitely, like, Nightmare on Elm, Halloween, Friday the 13th, even Scream. Um, Scream will get to more when we get to the 90s, but um, all of them really have pretty similar characteristics in that sense. Right, because you start to see these, like, tropes within the adolescent victims. Like, you have, like, the jock, you have the final girl who's the virgin, you have, like, the whore who gets killed first after having sex, you have, like, the stoner or whatever. Um, all of these kind of named tropes so that as soon as you start watching the movie you can tell who is going to die because of this kind of like moral didacticism that like is implicit in these films where like these characters transgress and then they get punished by like violating ideas of what is appropriate socially for teenagers Um, and I think it kind of operates around this generational tension where like adolescents are kind of the sacrificial lamb 
for like the sins of their parents or whatever. Yeah, I definitely think that we're seeing, especially in Nightmare on Elm, um, it's about what's his name? What's the main character? Freddy Krueger. Yeah, but it's about Freddy Krueger getting revenge on the parents by killing the kids in their dreams. Um, we also have the 90s, which is it the early or the late 90s that Scream came out? It was 96. I think it's 96, yeah. So in 96, we have um, Scream, which is often called a self-aware slasher, but part of me really wants to disagree about that, especially because it contributes so much to this whole franchise filmmaking that how self-aware can you really be if you're that far deep into it? Right, I agree. I think like Scream is definitely aware of slasher tropes and it does poke fun at them and subvert them at times. It's still definitely like even though it is considered a, a more smart slasher, it's still definitely like a cash cow that's being mined. You have also have more prestige movies that came out in the 90s, um, particularly Silence of the Lambs. That was, an, I just watched that last year actually, and I saw something that said that the actor who played Hannibal Lecter, what's his name? Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. He won the Academy Award for Best Actor, but he was only in the movie for 17 minutes total. Right, but then, like, it's been a few years since I've watched that movie, because it's also, like, not a movie I plan on rewatching anytime <laughs> soon. Um, but whenever I think of that movie, I think of his performance, because it frightened me so much that I just can't watch anything that Anthony Hopkins is in anymore. Like, he was in a movie about, like, popes a couple years ago, uh, and I just couldn't sit through it, because I was like, why is one of the popes a, a serial cannibal? <laughs> Um, I definitely didn't have the same experience, <laughs> but on the, I, I do remember vividly watching that last piece when she can't see anything and she's walking around and you're seeing through oh. the, the, um, the camera. Yeah, yeah, seeing that camera. I remember like barely being able to look, but also not being able to look away, but like that kind of fear where, where you just you're, hear like, like Buffalo Bill's voice echoing. Exactly, like you're tense all over and you can't move, but you also like... You can't move. <laughs> yeah, it's such a fantastic movie, and I think it also is very interesting in the sense of, of the perspective they choose to tell that story through. Um, like, Jodie Foster's character is, like, the only woman involved in the investigation and one of the very few women we see in the movie. So having her as that kind of, like, outsider where she faces all this kind of discrimination and this unfair treatment that she receives as a woman in her field um, as well as being involved in this very dangerous investigation I think um, is a very interesting way to portray it and also makes some of her experiences feel more universal um, but really after Silence of the Lambs uh, like swept the Oscars uh, I think it was really a major step in the horror genre being seen as a more valid form of filmmaking. Um, and that also happened with The Sixth Sense, which was also uh, an Academy Award nominated film. Not that that uh, defines what a good movie is, because horror is, is snubbed so frequently, um, but the fact that it earned this recognition in those two movies, I think inspired a lot of filmmakers to see horror as like a profitable or um like a, a good venture for them to like communicate their ideas through we also have an interesting dichotomy between the silence of the lambs and 
Sixth Sense that swept the Academy Awards. But then we have the Blair Witch Project in the 90s, mm-hmm. which is made, it's like a home video um, made with people who aren't actors, just, were they the Woods in what, Maryland or something? Yeah, uh, it was super low budget film. Uh, they actually had like the actors film themselves. Um, and it was very much experimental, and then they did with the footage what they had. Um, I think Blair Witch Project is actually one of the like most intense experiences I've ever had watching a film. The Blair Witch Project really was the first like found footage movie, um, and one of the ways that they like advertised the movie so that a lot of people were convinced it was real um, was the advertising campaign. They had this like website and they put up like missing posters of the actors because they weren't actors no one would have recognized them from anything else Uh, and they had this site where you could like see information updates on like uh looking into what happened to these people um and yeah the end product it leaves a lot ambiguous but the last scene in the house is just so so terrifying and so intense um it's a movie where, yes, I knew it was fictitious, but that I had to actually check the end of the credits to make sure, like, it said, like, <laughs> all depictions of persons, uh, any similarities to real persons, completely coincidental. So moving on to the 2000s, we have Saw, which really created torture porn. I want to look more into this, but I think it's interesting that we get the torture porn genre uh, in, like, the early 2000s after the Patriot Act. Um, and after hearing about all of these like torturous interrogation tactics that we justified after 9-11. Um, we also get the Paranormal Activity movies in the 2000s, which I, that is another franchise movie. Um, well, they have, what, eight of them? That sounds right. But Paranormal Activity, also like home movie format, the way it's set up. Um, and similar to Blair Witch Project, it was so innovative with such a small budget that I think the first Paranormal Activity is the most profitable movie at all time because they made it with such a small budget but it like performed incredibly in the box office. Um, So we see that uh, that Paranormal movie is going into the 2010s but then we get um, some really classic horror movies today like Get Out, Babadook, Hereditary, all of these um, really psych- an interesting mix of psychological horror and um, like physical horror yeah I think a lot of the horror movies that came out that have come out in the 2010s um, I mean you obviously have the whole Conjuring franchise um, which is supernatural horror but it revolves around this family I think a lot of uh, recent horror um, I would compare it more to, like, 60s horror movies in what and, and possibly 90s in the fact that it, it really revolves around family dynamics and, yeah. and structure. Um, like, you obviously see that in Hereditary. Um, mm-hmm. You see that in The Babadook. Uh, you see that in The Conjuring movies. Are all of these recurring tropes that we've seen, like, is this nothing new? We just haven't seen it because we aren't born. We're watching these. Now we're just like commenting on things that have been a pattern for years and years, you know? I mean, I think no art exists in like a vacuum. I think everything was inspired by something that came before it. But I think that a lot of these, like a lot of new movies that are coming out 
uh, are very honest about their inspirations, but then they do something unique with it or they modernize it in some way. Um, so I think that, I, I don't think that they've been done before in every case, but I think that, um, I just think that a lot of movies are inspired by the same kinds of, of like existing like mm-hmm. societal anxieties or problems. Um, and so I think like whatever iteration of that is like contemporary with the movie, you're gonna see that kind of coming through. Something else that I think Hereditary does so well, it's definitely a movie that like, yes, it's hard to watch, but it is really rewarding to watch it multiple times because if you watch it this like if you watch it the first time you just need to experience it um as it like runs its course but if you watch it the second time you like see how everything was set up when the family was never in control of their actions like there's an entire classroom scene about like greek tragedy and how it's more tragic if people have no control over their fates than if they do have control and so that's kind of the overarching theme of the movie where the idea that this family is in control of anything that's happening to them is a delusion because they're being manipulated by this cult. All right, so I think we're going to end there for today. Thank you everyone for listening, and we can't wait to record more episodes of this for you.